Hello, and welcome to The Vinyl Approach, episode 14. My name is Tom Wilmoth. I've been publishing my thoughts on music and have been involved with radio since the early 1970s. I call myself a collector of popular and unpopular music. Labeling music can be difficult, often unnecessary, and sometimes counterproductive. But today I discuss what is usually labeled as fusion music. This term has come to mean an amalgam of jazz and rock. There are various forms of fusion, one of the best known popularized by Miles Davis with his 1970 double album Bitches Brew. This record is seen as the big bang of jazz rock fusion, but elements of this genre had been forming for some time. Today on The Vinyl Approach, I want to give brief sketches of three important fusion groups. Miles Davis gets a huge amount of credit for mixing jazz with rock on Bitches Brew, and rightly so, but others had already been experimenting with various combinations. Miles himself started working with elements of rock on his previous album, In a Silent Way. But even before Miles' innovations, music archaeologists point to the importance of Gary Burton's Duster album. For this 1967 release, Vibes player Burton invited electric guitarist Larry Coriel to join his quartet. It wasn't necessarily the inclusion of an electric guitar that made the music fusion. After all, Charlie Christian had played amplified guitar with Benny Goodman. Rather, it was the way the instrument was played and how the music was approached. In an earlier podcast, I talked about the difficulty of tracking down firsts, but Gary Burton is unequivocal. In his 2013 autobiography, Learning to Listen, Burton says his group's Duster album was the very first to blend jazz and rock. He also acknowledges that compared with subsequent recordings, the Duster record sounds pretty tame. Tame or not, with Duster, Gary Burton opened jazz to include elements of rock music. Predictably, it was not met with universal approval. He talks about his quartet's live dates during the late 1960s and how the group was enthusiastically accepted by some audiences and fiercely rejected by others. Larry Coryell would play guitar in the Gary Burton Quartet for only four albums over the course of two years, but these were influential records. In addition to Burton and Coryell, the quartet included bassist Steve Swallow and drummer Bob Moses. After Duster, this quartet recorded two more studio albums, Lofty Fake Anagram and A Genuine Tong Funeral. Fortunately, a live set from 1968 was also released, documenting this group in performance. It's an interesting set in that it looks forward with Coriel's compositions Lines and Wrong is Right, but the live set also reaches back to include Blue Comedy, a number Burton recorded in 1963. If this early piece was unexpected, no one could have predicted that Bob Dylan's song I Want You would become a bass feature here for Steve Swallow. This in-concert album and all of Burton's records on the RCA label are worth hearing. As a side note, it's unfortunate that RCA has chosen not to reissue these albums in the U.S., making their importance underappreciated by many jazz fans. The timing of Gary Burton's 1967 and 68 albums that feature Larry Coryell is noteworthy. It was around this same time that guitarist Robbie Krieger of The Doors told an interviewer that jazz and rock were two forms of music that could never be combined. But, Krieger said, if such a combination were possible, The Doors probably came closer than any other band at being able to do it. A large statement, and a subject best saved for another day. But what Gary Burton, Miles Davis, and arguably The Doors gave us was a blending of genres that took on a life of its own. We now call it 
fusion. But how to define fusion? Part of a definition would include jazz improvisation and jazz chord changes played on rock instruments at high volume and often at high speed. An oversimplification to be sure, but this often fits, as with the music of Miles Davis and later with his protege Chick Corea. Keyboard player Korea's first electric Return to Forever quartet recorded the 1974 album titled Hymn of the Seventh Galaxy. It remains a milestone of fusion. That same year, another of Miles' keyboard sidemen would add soul-driven funk to jazz rock. Herbie Hancock stretched boundaries with tunes like Sly, Actual Proof, and the catchy Chameleon, a tune that was heard everywhere in 1974. As popular as Chick and Herbie became with their electric fusion bands, each had first experimented with much freer jazz styles when they first left Miles. Hancock with his Mwandishi band, and Korea with Circle, a group including Anthony Braxton. It is thought that much of this music and the later electric bands were inspired by these two keyboard players' experiences with Miles. Inspired, but not a slavish devotion to replicate Miles' approach to music. When I interviewed Chick Corea in 1975, he told me he had learned a lot about what he wanted to do as a band leader from Miles, but he also discovered a lot about what he didn't want to do. Sounds normal. Two of Miles' other sidemen on Bitches Brew teamed up soon after those August 1969 recording sessions ended. Long-tenured sax man Wayne Shorter and Miles' newcomer Joe Zominal formed their own band. The new group was called Weather Report. In 1971, they recorded and issued an album. Like Korea's and Hancock's first recordings after leaving Miles, the debut Weather Report album sailed into uncharted, if not completely unstructured, jazz. Miles' influence was evident on the first Weather Report record, but Shorter, keyboardist Zawinul, and bassist Miroslav Vidoas created their own sound. Beginning in 1970, the Weather Report band would go through numerous musical eras, and many musicians would play with the group's core duo of Zawinul and Shorter. I have been thinking about fusion, and especially Weather Report lately, because of a new book by Kurt Bianchi. It's called Elegant People, A History of the Band Weather Report. It has done what a good music biography should. Reading this book makes me want to go back and listen again to the recordings being discussed. When writing an overview of a band or a musician's career, many authors will focus only on the best-known era. For example, an author discussing the history of Miles is tempted to linger on the kind of blue sessions and pass quickly over the On the Corner record. Similarly, when examining the career of sax man Charles Lloyd, critics write about his 1960s work at length, often ignoring the time he spent with the Beach Boys. So it is with Weather Report. Some of their lineups and albums were more popular than others. In this new Elegant People biography, it would have been easy and maybe even tempting to give lopsided attention to the Jaco Pistorius and Birdland era. But this history of Weather Report is even-handed in exploring each incarnation of this group, using co-leaders Joe Zawinul and Wayne Shorter as the focal point. Kurt Bianche presents a complete portrait. His narrative starts before the beginning. That is, the book discusses Zominal's time with Cannonball Adderley's band and Shorter's lengthy stint with Miles. Once Zominal and Shorter form their own group, Elegant People is meticulous in walking the reader through each of the records, their live performances, and the personnel changes of the band, which were many. 
Undaunted, the author has tracked down and interviewed nearly every living member of the Weather Report alumni. Some of the musicians' stories are happier than others, but each sounds proud of his time spent with the group. Conversations with former members of the band are useful, but it was Bianche's series of interviews with co-leader Joe Zawinul that proved most useful in constructing this history of Weather Report. We learn of the keyboardist's composition methods, piano improvisations usually, from which completed tunes would emerge. Zawinul is a harsh critic of his own writing, and he sometimes sounds ruthless when truncating Wayne Shorter's lengthier musical ideas. Bianche was also able to speak with Shorter, who has a cryptic approach to verbal communication. It makes one think that he prefers to speak through his saxophone. Kurt Bianche is not a newcomer to this topic. He has spent most of his life as a fan of the group, and he has created the well-respected website Weather Report, the annotated discography, found on the web at weatherreportdiscography.org. The Elephant People biography is a culmination of the author's depth of knowledge that comes from long-term research. His passion for Weather Report's music is evident on every page. I give Elegant People my unconditional endorsement. It is an enjoyable read and a meticulously written work that deserves a wide audience. I am not alone in this opinion. Weather Report drummer Peter Erskine gives Elegant People his blessing by providing the book's foreword. Read this book and rediscover the band. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode of The Vinyl Approach. A quick reminder that each of these episodes has an accompanying song list on Spotify. I'm Tom Wilmoth, and if you are interested in reading more of my opinions about music, I have published a book called Sound Bites, A Lifetime of Listening. Sound Bites is available on Amazon, as is Elegant People, the history of the band Weather Report. This has been The Vinyl Approach. I'm Tom Wilmoth, and I'll see you next time.